Chapter Seven of A Child's History of England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Laura Koskinen. A Child's History of England by Charles Dickens. Chapter Seven England under Harold the Second and Conquered by the Normans. Harold was crowned King of England on the very day of the maudlin confessor's funeral. He had good need to be quick about it. When the news reached Norman William, hunting in his park at Rouen, he dropped his bow, returned to his palace, called his nobles to council, and presently sent ambassadors to Harold, calling on him to keep his oath and resign the crown. Harold would do no such thing. The barons of France leagued together round Duke William for the invasion of England. Duke William promised freely to distribute English wealth and English lands among them. The Pope sent to Normandy a consecrated banner, and a ring containing a hair, which he warranted to have grown on the head of St. Peter. He blessed the enterprise, and cursed Harold, and requested that the Normans would pay Peter's pence or a tax to himself of a penny a year on every house, a little more regularly in future, if they could make it convenient. King Harold had a rebel brother in Flanders, who was a vassal of Harold Hardrada, king of Norway. This brother and this Norwegian king, joining their forces against England with Duke William's help, won a fight in which the English were commanded by two nobles, and then besieged York. Harold, who was waiting for the Normans on the coast at Hastings, with his army, marched to Stamford Bridge upon the river Derwent to give them instant battle. He found them drawn up in a hollow circle, marked out by their shining spears. Riding round this circle at a distance to survey it, he saw a brave figure on horseback, in a blue mantle and a bright helmet, whose horse suddenly stumbled and threw him. "'Who is that man who has fallen?' Harold asked of one of his captains. "'The king of Norway,' he replied. "'He is a tall and stately king,' said Harold. "'But his end is near.' He added, in a little while, "'Go yonder to my brother and tell him, if he withdraw his troops, he shall be Earl of Northumberland, and rich and powerful in England.' The captain rode away, and gave the message. "'What will he give to my friend, the King of Norway?' asked the brother. Seven feet of earth for a grave,' replied the captain. "'No more,' returned the brother with a smile. "'The King of Norway, being a tall man, perhaps a little more,' replied the captain. "'Ride back,' said the brother, "'and tell King Harold to make ready for the fight.' He did so very soon." and such a fight King Harold led against that force, that his brother, and the Norwegian king, and every chief of note in all their host, except the Norwegian king's son Olaf, to whom he gave honorable dismissal, were left dead upon the field. The victorious army marched to York. As King Harold sat there, at the feast, in the midst of all his company, a stir was heard at the doors, and messengers, all covered with mire, from riding far and fast through broken ground, came hurrying in, 
to report that the Normans had landed in England. The intelligence was true. They had been tossed about by contrary winds, and some of their ships had been wrecked. A part of their own shore, to which they had been driven back, was strewn with Norman bodies. But they had once more made sail, led by the Duke's own galley, a present from his wife, upon the prow whereof the figure of a golden boy stood pointing towards England. By day, the banner of the three lions of Normandy, the diverse-coloured sails, the gilded vans, the many decorations of this gorgeous ship, had glittered in the sun and sunny water. By night a light had sparkled like a star at her masthead, and now, encamped near Hastings, with their leader lying in the old Roman castle of Pevensey, the English retiring in all directions, the land for miles around scorched and smoking, fired and pillaged, was the whole Norman power, hopeful and strong on English ground. Harold broke up the feast and hurried to London. Within a week his army was ready. He sent out spies to ascertain the Norman strength. William took them, caused them to be led through his whole camp, and then dismissed. The Normans, said these spies to Harold, are not bearded on the upper lip as we English are, but are shorn. They are priests. My men, replied Harold with a laugh, will find those priests good soldiers. The Saxons reported Duke William's outposts of Norman soldiers, who were instructed to retire as King Harold's army advanced, rush on us through their pillaged country with the fury of madmen. Let them come, and come soon, said Duke William. Some proposals for a reconciliation were made, but were soon abandoned. In the middle of the month of October, in the year 1066, the Normans and the English came front to front. All night the armies lay encamped before each other, in a part of the country then called Senlac, now called, in remembrance of them, Battle. With the first dawn of the day they arose. There in the faint light were the English on a hill, a wood behind them, in their midst the royal banner, representing a fighting warrior woven in gold thread, adorned with precious stones. Beneath the banner, as it rustled in the wind, stood King Harold on foot, with two of his remaining brothers by his side. Around them, still and silent as the dead, clustered the whole English army. Every soldier covered by his shield, and bearing in his hand his dreaded English battle-axe. On an opposite hill, in three lines, archers, foot-soldiers, horsemen, was the Norman force. Of a sudden a great battle-cry, God help us, burst from the Norman lines. The English answered with their own battle-cry, God's rude, holy rude. The Normans then came sweeping down the hill to attack the English. There was one tall Norman knight who rode before the Norman army on a prancing horse, throwing up his heavy sword and catching it, and singing of the bravery of his countrymen. An English knight, who rode out from the English force to meet him, fell by this knight's hand. Another English knight rode out, 
and he fell too. But then a third rode out, and killed the Norman. This was in the first beginning of the fight. It soon raged everywhere. The English, keeping side by side in a great mass, cared no more for the showers of Norman arrows than if they had been showers of Norman rain. When the Norman horsemen rode against them, with their battle-axes they cut men and horses down. The Normans gave way. The English pressed forward. A cry went forth among the Norman troops that Duke William was killed. Duke William took off his helmet, in order that his face might be distinctly seen, and rode along the line before his men. This gave them courage. As they turned again to face the English, some of their Norman horse divided the pursuing body of the English from the rest, and thus all that foremost portion of the English army fell, fighting bravely. The main body still remaining firm, heedless of the Norman arrows, and with their battle-axes cutting down the crowds of horsemen when they rode up, like forests of young trees, Duke William pretended to retreat. The eager English followed. The Norman army closed again, and fell upon them with great slaughter. Still, said Duke William, there are thousands of the English, firm as rocks around their king. Shoot upward, Norman archers, that your arrows may fall down upon their faces. The sun rose high, and sank, and the battle still raged. Through all the wild October day, the clash and din resounded in the air. In the red sunset, and in the white moonlight, heaps upon heaps of dead men lay strewn, a dreadful spectacle, all over the ground. King Harold, wounded with an arrow in the eye, was nearly blind. His brothers were already killed. Twenty Norman knights, whose battered armor had flashed fiery and golden in the sunshine all day long, and now looked silvery in the moonlight, dashed forward to seize the royal banner from the English knights and soldiers, still faithfully collected round their blinded king. The king received a mortal wound and dropped. The English broke and fled. The Normans rallied, and the day was lost. Oh, what a sight beneath the moon and stars! When lights were shining in the tent of the victorious Duke William, which was pitched near the spot where Harold fell, and he and his knights were carousing within, and soldiers with torches, going slowly to and fro without, sought for the corpse of Harold among piles of dead, and the warrior, worked in golden thread and precious stones, lay low, all torn and soiled with blood, and the three Norman lions kept watch over the field. End of chapter 7 Recording by Laura Koskinen